Welcome to the City Edge Church podcast. For more information, please visit our website at cityedgechurch.org.au. We hope that you enjoy this message. So Imago Day means in God's image. In God's image, we were created. You know, our image and our identity is not just something that we're supposed to muddle through as teenagers and then not think about again until our midlife crisis kicks in. You know, our identity is something that God actually cares about, something that he wants to speak into, something that he wants to bring into line uh, with who he thinks we are. And it's something um, that will actually affect your entire life. And you know what? In a day and age where it's being challenged more than ever, we actually need to know what God has to say about who we are. We need to know our identity in Christ. So tonight, we actually have an amazing panel. Uh, people coming up from our church who are going to share their stories of how, I guess, they walk through their own identity challenges and how they've come out the other side. We've also got some expert advice as well. So once again, I'd love it if we could please stand to our feet and welcome our panel members up tonight. Come on, guys. Awesome. Here they come. Grab a seat, guys. Awesome. So for everyone, for people maybe who don't know these guys, let me put my pen down. We have got Karen McMillan. She is one of our great life group leaders in the church. She also uh, runs and writes our Christmas production and Easter productions. She's amazing. We've got Harrison Pugh, who is our young adults and Red Frogs leader. He's such a great guy, obviously. And Pastor Nikki, who is our associate pastor, and she's also a clinical psychologist. So thank you, guys. And just in advance... You know, I want to thank these guys for courageously sharing their stories. It's actually not easy to get up here and bear your heart in front of everyone, but they do this for the keys that you guys are going to take away. So what I would encourage you to do is lean in. Lean in and hear what God has to say to you through them. So um, I just know God is going to speak to you tonight, which is awesome. So we're going to kick straight into our questions tonight, and I'm going to go to Pastor Nikki. Can you define a bit more clearly to us what identity is and why does it actually even matter? Yeah. So identity, put simply, is who we think we are and how we see ourselves. So when people talk about having like a sense of their identity, what they're really saying is I have a sense of um, my beliefs, I have a a sense of um, my worldview, I have a sense of my expressions um, and the the role that I have in society, that kind of thing. And so um, identity, what we're talking about, it's quite a it's an abstract sort of concept, but I guess in many ways it's, um, yeah, that's how I would sort of describe it. Um, why does it matter? Well, it has an incredible impact on our behavior, right? The way we see ourselves has an incredible impact on the decisions that we make today for our future, the things that we think we can and cannot do. Um, it, it Really, it's, it's the beginning point of so many different um, paths that we could take in our life. And uh, there's this really famous um, study in psychology that, um, you know, some of you might have heard about, uh, and it's called the Zimbardo Prison Experiment. <clears throat> and it's pretty interesting. 
in the 70s when they could do this, it's not ethical but uh, anymore, <laughs> but in the 70s when they could do this, they basically set up this mock prison environment in, in a university. And uh, they assigned a bunch of university students, basically like, let's say you guys, you're going to be the police, uh, the, the prison guards, the prison officers. And then they said, you guys over here, you're going to be the, the um, prisoners. And they put them in this experiment. They paid them to do it. And um, what they found was um, that the the way that um, the people self-identified, so if I self-identified as this prison guard, um, they actually became very authoritative and uh, they actually began to um, punish um, in a way that was excessive of what the experiment actually um, was requiring of them. Um, and uh, the prisoners, on the other hand, when they self-identified as the prisoners, um, they found that they were very submissive. Uh, they kind of just let it happen to them. Um, they took orders from the guards when they didn't really have, like they didn't have to do these things that the guards ordered them to do. Now, remembering, they're all university students. They're all mates. But I guess, um, you know, it was just sort of this power of self-identification identifying with a particular role or a particular, um, I guess, uh, I don't know, yeah, a particular role, had immense power over their behaviour. And so we can see how, um, I guess, how we see ourselves, the roles that we um, feel that we need to play in society have a massive impact on our behaviour. Uh, and I think that's why two people can go through the same thing uh, and experience it completely different, differently and have a different impact on them, right? So if I, for example, if I self-identify as being strong and resilient and faith-filled um, and all that kind of thing, then maybe when I go through difficulty, what I might experience it I might experience it as just another mountain that I can, can get through, I can accomplish, I can overcome. But if I self-identify as sort of someone who's a failure or I have no self-worth or um, I'm someone who doesn't cope well, that kind of thing, then I might see the same difficulty as another thing that's just coming to take me out. I might surrender to it. Yeah. And uh, it might very well keep me stuck in the position that I'm in. So identity is so, so important. And, um, and there's no better identity to have than the one that God, uh, how God sees us. There's no better way to see ourselves than how God sees us, right? Yeah. Ultimate creator. Yeah, awesome. So the way we see ourselves affects everything yeah. in summary. So Karen, can you tell us what identity has meant to you? Yeah, for sure. So I grew up in a home um, where I did have a mum and dad. My dad was pretty much emotionally absent in my, in my life um, and he didn't give a lot of emotion or love, um, how I would have thought would have been something that a dad would do. Um, then the only time that he was ever involved in my life was pretty much telling me that I needed to perform. Um, I needed to do better. I needed to achieve better. I needed to... Um, and. So I grew, I established my identity around the fact that if I do, then I'm accepted. Um, so as the years gone on, with that perception in mind, um, I want to let you know my dad loved me a lot. I just that as a very young person, as a child, we actually, they say that as a child, you, um, you know, you perceive the experiences quite excellently, but you don't, I mean, sorry, you see the um, experiences, but you don't actually have the uh, capacity to be able to interpret those that very well. Um, so, you know, I had a misconception of what that love actually looked like. And then over the years, that misconception of who I was actually become a little bit unhealthier as my teenage years evolved. And then my identity become about more about who I was with, more about, and then less about who I was. 
Um, I was never long without a partner in my life. Um, so my identity as an individual was diverted into becoming who I was with them rather than who I was. So I never felt worthy. Um, I never had really healthy relationships. I didn't feel like I was actually worthy of having a, a healthy relationship and anything more than what I had. It was just like whoever so come into my world was like, all right, that's enough um, for me. That's what, how I perceived it, which is quite unhealthy. Um, I suppose at the age of 23, um, I then become a Christian. Um, I was a single mum at the time and I didn't have a lot of one-on-one -on -one time with God to actually develop that identity between who I was in God. Um, not long after that, I got married. Um, and what I actually did then was then divert all my energy and time into being a wife and a mum. So my role and my identity then was lost again in becoming someone else. Um, and there's nothing wrong with becoming a mum and there's nothing wrong with becoming a wife. All those things are beautiful. But what I actually did is that my identity as an individual become those roles. And I got lost in amongst that again. So, you know, who I was be, um, before God and who I was before people was the mum and the wife. Um, and that was accepted in society. So I was accepted. And so I felt comfortable in that environment and was happy to stay in that environment because it was accepted by people and by, by society. So I suppose with all that energy being diverted into that, um, you know, I didn't know who I was again. Um, and I didn't actually feel worthy enough of having my own dreams and desires either. So I was quite happy to be able to give um, to others because relationship was important. Four years ago, um, my marriage began to fall apart. Um, I suppose I did what I knew to try to fix it, but was unable to, which obviously was ridiculously heartbreaking. But not only were the dreams of the happily ever after shattered, it also re-exposed who I was as a person. And that person was not anyone that was healthy before God. I was raw again. I was re-exposed again and as an individual person. And that was a really, really tough season. Um, in amongst that, because of what I knew to do in my past was to seek uh, out a partner that would make my life better that would make me feel better. That would be something that I could re-identify who I was in again. And so I looked around on dating sites, um, Christian dating sites, just to let you know. Um, and um, Above board. <laughs> absolutely. You know, like, still striving for that. Anyway, so, um, so looking at that, but I think in amongst it, and the reason that I shared this particular part of the story not so much that the actual experience of online dating or anything like that is good, bad or indifferent, but I actually came across a person that portrayed themselves to be very affluent, very prestigious. Um, he looked like he had wealth and he was prominent in his business world and he looked like he had his life, this life, this image that he portrayed to, to me was something that challenged the socks out of my heart. It was like all of a sudden I looked at myself and thought, what do I have to give? What have I got? I said, I've got nothing. I've got no wealth. I've got, I've got no prominence in the business world. What do I have? And as a result of that particular, I suppose that revelation of that, it challenged me who I was and I realised that I needed to work on who I was before God. 
I needed then to have a look at and go. And, I, and in that moment, I realised that what I do have to give is the fact that I'm a Christian, the fact that I love God, the fact that everything that I am in my world was something that I could give regardless if you took everything else away. That was the one thing I had. Awesome. Thanks, Karen. You know, the thing with identity is, is that we all pin it to something. Some of us here, maybe you pin it to past mistakes, uh, past failures that you've made, but then some of us maybe pin our identity to things that are sort of socially acceptable and great things like being a great mom, being a great uh, wife or husband or, or dad or whatever. Um, but the thing is, is that when we pin our identity to anything other than God, when that thing changes, because it does because of the world we live in and that's life, um, what happens is when it does change, our identity is re-exposed. Uh, it's, uh, we get to this point where it's like this identity crisis again. Who are we and where am I worth it anymore? So, um, Harry, your experience was a little bit different to Karen, quite different actually. So, by all accounts, uh, you had a, a pretty good upbringing, you have great parents, you've got a great family, but still identity and mindsets was something that you you still had to walk through something. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, definitely. Um, so I reached a pretty just dark moment in my life um, directly following high school, the first couple of years after that. Um, and like you said, I had an amazing upbringing. I've got amazing parents, an amazing family. Like I, I was really dealt all the right cards in life. I was born on the Sunshine Coast. Like how lucky can you get? Um, and um, But like I was dealing with some serious stuff inside myself. Um, I, I had serious problems with pride. I just viewed... Um, I, yeah, I, I viewed myself kind of better than people. I wouldn't have admitted that to myself, but that was the truth. I had problems with unforgiveness, which was tied into that, is that I couldn't forgive people if they hurt me because I felt like, how dare they? You know, how dare you hurt me? You know, like, oh, like who are you to, to do this here? And so, like, when I got hurt, which inevitably we all get hurt, you know, um, but both small and little things, it was, I couldn't just let it go, you know, and what I would do from that is I would isolate myself and just push people away, um, and there was probably other reasons I was isolating myself as well, might have to have a session with Nikki to figure that out, um, but uh, <laughs> I was, I was isolating myself, <laughs> she was like, I don't want to touch I that. <laughs> I use good self-control to say. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, I was, um, <laughs> I was, I was pushing people away um, in a serious kind of way. Um, it, it, was, it was unforgiveness, it was pride, and um, I, I, I just, I had friends. I had people around my life. I had people I, I talked to every single day, um, and I had people I could put on a really good face to so a good image and look like that things were going all right. And by all means, I was, like, on the outside, things probably did look okay. Um, actually, I, I shared um, a bit of this this morning, and, and Nick came up to me afterwards. He's like, bro, I had no idea about that. And me and Nick are best friends. Um, so that's just how good of an actor I am. Um, but <laughs> love. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. amen. Um, but um, it really, I, I put on a good face. I was studying full time, you know. I was working a job. I, I wasn't just locking myself in my, in my room or anything like that. I was doing the Christian things. I was serving at church, going every single week, reading my Bible every day, praying every day. Um, but there was just some serious internal self-image stuff, um, which was 
just ruining me and it pushed me to such a dark place and specifically isolating myself. Um, it says in the Bible, Genesis, the first thing that God says to humankind, like the very first thing he says to Adam is it's not good for man to be alone. And that's when he creates Eve. And it's so true is that I was alone. I, I was so lonely. I just would not let anyone near me, anyone see who I really was um, or what I was really dealing with. And it just led me to such a dark depression. And eventually it just got to the point where um, I was suicidal for quite a, like a long period of probably around six months. Um, and it was like, I, I didn't want to have those thoughts. Like I wasn't choosing to have those thoughts, but um, it was just the fruit of the place that I, I allowed my identity to get to. It was so negative. It was just so messed up and warped um, that I kind of, yeah, I, I just ended up in this very, very dark and it seemed like uh, a place where I could, I just couldn't get out of. I, I didn't know the way. Mm, well, you know, both Karen and Harry reflected on words that spoke to their identity and things like, I am unworthy, I'm only valuable if, or things like, I'm better than this. And, um, you know, uh, Pastor Craig Rochelle says that your life moves in the direction of your strongest thoughts. But, you know, often we don't actually realize the thoughts rolling around in our head, but we do notice the fruit of those, the emotions, um, like anxiety, depression, maybe just fatigue and, and things like that, wanting to isolate, and we're not loving it. And we try to respond or um, to the fruit of it. We try to respond to the behaviors through medication, through self-care, and all good things when they're necessary, you know, but sometimes we actually don't realize that the core is a mindset issue. Uh, so Pastor Nikki, can you just expand a little bit on this concept and also the exceptions to that? So it is really common for people to not be able to identify what their thoughts are uh, and even their feelings sometimes. Usually, you know, we just feel distress, but we don't know if it's like sadness or anger or maybe it just feels like everything at once it just feels overwhelming um and that's because you know in our daily lives it's not it's not common for us to think about our thinking right it's we're so busy doing other things in life we're busy going to uni we're busy um going to school or to work or whatever tending to our families that we don't take have, take a lot of time in our in our natural sort of world to to self-reflect and really think about our thinking so if you're in that boat tonight you're kind of like yeah I've just felt this distress but I have no idea what's going on that's okay that's really normal um but the good thing is is that there are things you can do to you know figure that out um now I, I liken like the way that we can understand that there is or the indicator okay there's indicators though that tell us that there's an issue with our self-identity, okay? It's a bit like having a cold, okay? So you might have like um, the, the bacteria and the infection running around your system for like a week. I don't know, nurses in the place, maybe it's less than that. But you've got this infection. Now you never see the infection, but you see the effects of it right? You see the, uh, you know, the way you feel, like I feel fatigued, I feel achy, and you see the behaviors of it, like you see the sneezing and the snotty nose and the sore throat and all that kind of thing, but you never actually see the infection. And the thing about our identity is that that's usually how we figure out something's wrong with our identity as well, yeah. is that there's indicators that tell us something deep is going on. Yeah. And there's two types of indicators. The first is emotional indicators. So like Pastor Kate was saying, like uh, feelings, like, you know, you might feel really angry all the time or really um, hurt all the time or really sad all the time or whatever. Um, or empty, empty is a big one, or lonely, that kind of thing. Um, but on the other hand, you might see behavioral indicators, okay? And there's sort of um, three different types of behavioral indicators, okay? The first one 
is that you might be in what I call chronic avoidance mode, okay? Where basically what you're feeling on the inside is so uncomfortable to you, so we just avoid. And that can look as simple as things like chronic Netflix watching. Like I know a lot of people who just spend hours and hours and hours trying to distract themselves from what they actually feel on the inside. Yeah. Um, it could be isolation. It could be withdrawing from people, not rocking up to stuff, not wanting to hang out with friends. Um, it could be like self, like soothing through like um, avoidance, sort of um, like med- self-medicating with like alcohol or other drugs or whatever. So that's avoidance. There might be the overcompensation, right, which is um, where we try and just do better. We try and just, we go into overachieving mode. And so we try and just do better at uni or whatever. We try and overachieve. We try and do better at our job. We'd be the best mom, all that kind of thing. Um, And then there's surrender. And surrender is basically where we just sort of opt out, give up. Um, I'm just going to let, you know, these things happen to me. If I'm just worthless anyway, well, maybe I just deserve this. I'm just going to let it happen. Right, and maybe we're a bit more submissive than we usually would be. So these are really key indicators. These are like our snotty nose and our, you know, our achy bones that sort of say there's something going on deeper. And I think that's where God wants to get to. But so often we get caught dealing with just the symptoms, or trying to just avoid them, or overcompensate for them. But there's something deeper going on. Awesome. So our thoughts and what's going on in our minds is really, really important. Um, So Karen and Harry. When all was stripped away, uh, it was at this point that you realised that this was not how you wanted to end your story, and you knew that you had to make some changes if you were going to move forward. So how did you know this was not the end, and then what did you do as a result? Um, I think coming to that place, I was absolutely terrified even to think about the fact that (coughs) I'm having to move into this next season of my life. the way that it was, you know, I'd lived the last 22 years behind someone else and now I was exposed. Um, so, but there's just something on the inside that just indicated to me I knew there was more. Um, one of the things that, you know, I mentioned to you before, you know, with identity is I knew it was a mum and I knew it was a good mum. And I knew that that was the thing that I knew I could do well. So for me to, to in this next season was that I knew, I just had to get up. They were the the people, my kids were the things that got me out of bed every day. I knew they needed me. I knew that I did that well. And I knew that in this season of time that I had to be there for them. Um, So that got me up. (laughs) That got me out of my bed every day because I guarantee you the last thing I wanted to do was get out of bed. The last thing I wanted to do was to do life, was to feel vulnerable was to be in people's lives. I just wanted to just stay and hide. And as, as Nikki was saying, it's something that you definitely want to do. Um, I suppose in amongst all of that, you know, being a Christian for as long as I was, there's lots of things that actually draw back up, even in amongst those times. You know that you know that there's certain things that are healthy for you. And as a result of that, I still listen to podcasts. And one of the things that I did listen to was a podcast um, of a lady who was experiencing a pretty tough season. Um, And she spoke three words, and they were the only things that I truly remember about this podcast, and it was just turn up. Just turn up. And in amongst that, I realised that those three words were the three words that I needed to hear right then and there. Because when I didn't feel like it, I had to just turn up. When I had a bad attitude... When I didn't feel like doing anything, when I didn't want to get up, when I was feeling broken and I felt insignificant, was just turn up. 
And three things, I suppose, in amongst that particular season was that I knew those three things, I did, three things that I did do, sorry, that I felt was something that God, you know, strategically placed around my life because, you know, as when you're in a broken state, nothing makes any sense. But in that amongst of just turning up, I did turn up to church every Sunday. And turning up to church every Sunday was a choice. Because I guarantee you that when I woke up on a Sunday morning, the last thing I felt like doing was walking into this place and re-exposing my heart again to people when it was completely and utterly broken. The last thing I felt like doing was facing people and sharing stories with their story with people over and over and over again. But I chose to turn up. And I chose to stand in that position, in that front row, what I've done over the previous years. And I chose to worship just like I'd done over those previous years. And I chose to stand there knowing there were people behind me, (laughs) which was not easy to do. Um, So one thing was to just turn up. That's what I did. I just turned up. And I guarantee you I may have turned up and walked through those doors and I might have had a smile on my face. As Harry said, it's really easy to put on a church face when you walk in. And it's really easy to put those protective mechanisms over your heart because they're the things that keep you safe. And I did that for a long time. Um, the second thing I did was I realised my thoughts mattered. During a season of time when your identity is completely and utterly thrown out, it's like there is so much that screams at you. Yeah. And I knew that my thoughts mattered and I had to choose them. I had to choose what those thoughts were. People knew my story. People knew what had happened. They've been part of, we've been part of this church for a, a long time together and now that I stood alone. And... Half of basically who I was, um, that's the tough part. I suppose the other half of my identity was missing. You know, showing up was what I learnt to do because I knew that if I didn't turn up, I wasn't placing myself and positioning myself for Jesus to do what he needed to do in my life. The other thing was that God showed me that that for somehow I knew my story wasn't finished. Um, Nikki mentioned about, you know, two different types of people. I'm the strong person. I'm the person that comes against obstacles and just looks them at another mountain to conquer. And this was another mountain I was kind of conquer. I had with every single gusto in part of me, I was like, I am going to win at this thing, regardless of what it looks like. And I remember listening to, I think there's this words in the song that I all remember was this is excruciatingly painful. But I remembered that if in amongst all of that, if I don't allow God to, if I don't position myself for God to do a work, I'm never, ever going to redefine who I am as a person. So the other part of it was that I mentioned that my story is not finished. God gave me a promise, just as he gives every one of us a promise. You know, he, in amongst that turning up and in amongst those words, you know, this, this whole thing doesn't happen straight away. You know, when you've got an identity crisis, it's not something that you just, like, wake up one morning and all of a sudden everything's right. But the Word of God is so powerful. And I had a beautiful friend share with me earlier on in, my, in that particular season of my life, and they shared with me a psalm. Now, this particular psalm didn't mean a lot to me back then as much as it meant to me today because I'm now on the other side. I've walked through in it and through it, and I'm now on the other side. And now when I look at this scripture, I understand how important it is that I've done the journey that I've done. And it's Psalm 40, and it's verse 1 to 3. It says, I waited patiently for the Lord to help me, and he turned to me and he heard my cry. 
He lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on solid ground and steadied me as I walked along. He had given me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to our God. That's his promise. The new song is a new life. And the last part of this was that I knew that my story wasn't finished and I also knew that my story wasn't always just about, not only just about me. He said, many will see what he has done and be amazed. And they will put their trust in the Lord. Wow, wow, so good. Awesome, thank you, Karen. So, Harry, you... um, you're going to answer this question too, by the way. Love to. Yeah. But um, for you, it was different, right? You actually went a little bit lower. Yeah, I'm a bit uh, more stubborn. Before um, you went forward. Yeah. Tell us about that. Uh, if anyone knows me, they'll know that's very true. I'm very stubborn. <laughs> it's my blessing and curse. Um, so um, I was being convicted by the Holy Spirit. I knew I wasn't in the right place, but I was too set in my ways to, to kind of change myself too much. And uh, uh, that led that pushed me even further, just kind of in, into chaos and my identity and who I was and into um, depression. And um, yeah, there was, there was kind of one moment where I just hit the floor um, in terms of just kind of hitting the lowest of lows. Um, and I, it kind of got spurred on. I was um, alone. Well, no, I wasn't. I was house-sitting my sister's place and I was alone. And I was like, this sucks. I hate being alone. Um, but I also don't want to let people near me. Um, but I invited my, um, my best friend over um, at the time not Nick. Um, <laughs> it was only a period, man. It was like a couple of months. I put you back at the top afterwards. Um, <laughs> um, Nick's going through some identity issues right now based on that. Um, but yeah, I was, uh, I was hanging out with uh, one of my best friends and, um, and I was just there and I was just so miserable, just so miserable. Uh, I just felt so lonely. Um, I, I just... I don't. I can't remember exactly what spurred me to be like that way. Um, sometimes it's. I, Nikki can probably correct me on this. Sometimes it feels like nothing, you know, clicks it. It's just sometimes, at least for me in that time, it was because I was in just such a bad place, you know, mentally. My mood would just swing and go straight to the bottom. Thoughts would come on, and I just was miserable. And I just remember sitting there and looking at my friend, and it was the misery was amplified because I couldn't tell him. And it's not like I couldn't but I just I felt like no matter how hard I tried I just couldn't get out I couldn't open my heart I couldn't kind of let this person in even though you know we were hanging out and we were as close as could be um, and so eventually I was like hey man I, I gotta go and what I did is um, like I said I was dealing with some serious unforgiveness and pride as well and I, I thought um, in all my wisdom that a, a good way to kind of deal with these emotions was just to spew them out on someone that you know I hadn't forgiven and um, and they'd understand and it'd all be okay and I'd, I'd be fine um, um, and so I messaged this person, I was like, hey, can we meet up and talk? Um, and we did, and I, I didn't open up to that person um, in that I didn't show them my heart, I just showed them my hurt and my pain. Um, but the thing was, I'd hurt this person far more than they'd probably hurt me. Um, and it just ended up, it's just the emotions just piled up and ended up being a screaming match um, where I eventually got punched. Um, and I kind of, like... But basically, I, that hurt me even more. It was like I thought I hit the floor and then went even lower because I felt like I'm trying to open up here. I'm trying to actually do the thing that's going to help me. But, you know, it's, it's just gotten worse now, God. Um, and I left that and I was just like, like I said, it was like I was on the floor and then I went 
down to the underground level. And I, I just, I, I realized in that moment that I had two choices that I either end it all or I've got to just go find help in, in some way, in some way that's actually going to be good help. Um, and I remember just walking along Bullcock um, Boulevard and just like, it was a, it was a real consideration. And um, I, I, I was just torn up inside. I was just bawling my eyes out like on, on this main street, just not knowing what to do. Um, but eventually, I, I reached a place. And I, to be honest, I don't, I can't describe or tell you why I, I made the decision. But I was like, no, nah, I got to go tell someone, and I got to go not just you know spew out you know my hate, spew out my these these negative emotions. I I need to go and open up and seek help. I need to admit that I'm not doing okay, um, and I need to let someone in. And so I decided. I was like, all right, and I walked like a couple of kilometers to. Um, this kind of my leader's place um, the, at, at church, the, the person who was leading me. Um, and I rocked up at his door at like 11 o'clock at night, stood out the front for five minutes because I didn't want to talk, but God was really kind of pushing me and moving me towards, towards that. Um, and the Holy Spirit had been convicting me the whole time and I, I knew what I had to do. I just didn't want to do it, but eventually it got through to me. And, you know, after five minutes of awkwardly standing at a door, listening to conversation, um, I knocked and... Um, he obviously realized that me rocking up at 11 o'clock on a Monday night wasn't, um, I probably wasn't just there to say hello and, I don't know, like he, he knew something was up. Um, and so we talked and I let him know what happened that night. Um, uh, but like, a, again, it just felt like I was just kind of telling information and not opening my heart. And it got to the point where I was just like, look, man, like I gotta be real. I, I didn't come here to tell you that I got in a fight. I didn't come here to tell you that, you know, these things like I'm, I'm hurting and I'm broken. And um, I, I need help, and I, I don't know where to get it. And um, as I as I open up to him there, um, he started talking, and I stopped listening um, because <laughs> it didn't really matter. Um, uh, but that right there was a significant just turning point in my life um, because I allowed my heart to be open. Um, and like, praise God that I had strong people around me. Praise God that I had a church where there were strong people around me that I could go to and actually open up my heart to and um, begin to say, I'm, I'm, I'm the issue. There's, there's issues in me. I, I need to change. Um, and yeah, from there, um, things didn't get better for a long time. Um, to be completely real, they didn't feel like they did. In retrospect, they did. It was like I went like my path was here. And then from that moment, it started to go like this. But it was so slow that it, was, that it just was like, it was, it was very painful, the process um, to getting back on my feet. But um, I guess that moment of vulnerability was um, a significant point there. Yeah. Wow, awesome. Yeah, I just want to draw out a point that both these guys made, and that was the healing power of vulnerability. You know, even saying the word vulnerability makes some of us probably in this room feeling a little uneasy, a little bit squirmish inside, because when, when you go through difficult times, it's very counterintuitive to want to be vulnerable. We want to guard, we want to protect uh, and not be vulnerable. So Nikki, can you just expand on the healing power of vulnerability? Yeah, I think you're right in that our natural instinct is to want to guard and protect things that, that hurt. Um, when you think about a wound on your arm or on your leg, let's say you have an accident, you cut your arm open, um, you know, you come off your bike or your scooter or your skateboard or, or whatever, and you get all this dirt and muck in it, okay? Um, your natural instinct when you go to the doctors or you go to the nurse it, or somebody's looking at it is to go, don't touch it, right? It hurts. Don't touch it. I don't want you to go in there and fix it. Um, and that's the way we're wired, right? We're wired to kind of protect this, 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 these things that are painful and these things that hurt. 
But the truth is, right, what happens if we leave that wound in all of its mess and all of its dirt and all of its junk is that it will grow into a, a big infection and we might end up suffering more pain later, right, or more consequences later in that might lose our arm or it might, I don't know, get a raging infection in our whole body. So we need to allow somebody, the right person, right, to get in there and to clean out the gunk and the muck and the dirt in there so that that wound can close up and can be, and can be healed yeah. very well. The thing, too, about wounds, right, is that wherever you've been cut, right, a scar forms and that skin is thicker and, uh, and, and, and even, even more stronger than before. So that's why I believe, you know, that um, there's so many things that we, we think um, are designed or the, the enemy, uh, sorry, the Bible talks about um, that God turns around everything for good, right? That some things that were meant to take us out become our biggest strengths later, right? Because of that, you get the concept. Anyway, so vulnerability. So it's the right people. Um, the thing about emotional pain, right, is that it, it obviously hurts us, but I believe it hurts us because the enemy brings shame around things. Um, we see in the, the beginning of time when, when Adam and Eve sinned, what happened was shame came upon them and then they hid themselves, right? So the opposite of vulnerability is hiding, right? Vulnerability is saying, here I am with all my pain, but the opposite of that is, no, 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 I'm all good, put the mask on, you know, all that kind of thing. And so what happens with shame is it causes us to hide and then we feel more shame right? Because we know we should go and speak to someone, but we find it really tough to do that, right? So then we feel more shame. So what happens is we go into more deeper levels of hiding and more deeper levels of, I guess, the facade that we put up. And we get caught in what I call the shame cycle, where we just go kind of deeper and deeper and deeper, and it feels hard to get out of. But you know what? I just really believe that shame is not of God, yeah. right? Um, the Bible tells us that nothing we could ever do could separate us from the love of God. Yeah. That there's no height nor depth, right? Um, and so God will certainly convict us. He will certainly ask us to repent sometimes, but he will never shame you for anything that you have in your heart that you're bringing towards him. Um, I don't believe it's, yeah. So that, that's sort of my thought. So vulnerability is key to healing. We have to let somebody get into that wound and help us clean it out. But the right person um, to do that, that's got the right skills and the right, um, you, you feel safe with. Um, and that's the only way we can have that fully healed over properly. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, Nikki. So Karen and Harry both began with vulnerability. Um, but still, you had to make choices to take responsibility to move through the crisis for Karen and move through grief as well. Um, and once you guys started moving through this time, you both talked about how it took a little bit of time for it to kick in, right? A few months. Um, so I'm going to flick back to Nikki. From your research and practice, what is the process and how long does it usually take um, to see change, changes in the truths we believe? Yeah, um, that's a question that most people want to know. <laughs> it's like, all right, I get I got this pain, but how do I get through this? And um, the, the truth is, is that you can't put a time limit on it. 
Um, it can be weeks. It can be a single moment for some people. It's like you have this one meeting with someone and it's like this revelation and a lot of stuff is undone. For others, it can be a process. But I believe that through every process, right, God is teaching us something. God is wanting to help, uh, wanting to journey with us. And if God doesn't bring it straight away, there's a reason for that. That God wants to walk you through your pain to come out the other side. So there's a story, you know, or there's resilience that gets built. There's strength that gets built in the fight. Do you know what I mean? Um, And so although sometimes we want it to be healed straight away, for some reason or another, it just takes time. And that can be because of the severity of what happened. It can be um, because of not, not a numerous amount of factors. Um, but all we need to know tonight is how we get started on that journey and know that God will bring it to a, a completion. There will be a point where you get turned back um, around and you go, wow, look at where God has taken me. But the other thing I want to just make mention is that I don't think our identity is ever something we arrive at. It's not something that we ever like kind of like, wow, I've got myself identity secure and I never have to talk to anyone ever again, right? That's probably pride and you probably do have a self-identity problem. So, um, so, you know, you never get to that point. And so it's a lifelong journey. We've got so many things screaming at us every single day that wants to shape our identity. We walk through experiences, we walk through pain in life. And, uh, and we, so we need to make sure that we're allowing God to continually shape our identity as well. So here's my sort of thoughts about how you do that and the process of how you get on that, on that road. The first thing we need to recognize is that all of us, um, let, me, let me bust out my notes because it's better. Um, We need to recognize that we all have parts of our identity that don't line up with how God sees us, all of us. Um, And it's a continual journey of being renewed in that. Um, We need to spend some time then, right? If that's where we, if we can recognize we're all there, we then need to spend some time in self-reflection, okay? Now, what I mean by that is we need to take the time out. I talked about being busy. We need to take the time out to actually reflect on what do I tell myself regularly, what does my mind actually tell me about me? Maybe you realize when you do that, I actually tell myself I'm a failure a lot of the time or I'm not good enough or something like that, right? Um, so for that doesn't mean you have to journal. It doesn't mean you have to sit there and like meditate or ponder. It might mean you go for a bike ride or a fish or you sit out on your back deck. It doesn't have to be this super spiritual activity, but it just needs to be this sort of moment where we just stop and think, right? Stop and reflect. Then we need to ask ourselves, right, what is the sore spot in my identity that I am trying to cope with, avoid, or protect, right? So what's that point where I'm trying to, what am I trying to avoid? Then we need to make the conscious decision to be vulnerable. So we need to reject the shame feelings, know that they don't come from God, and we need to take a step of courage. You know, vulnerability is actually courageous, It's actually like one of the most courageous things that you can do, right? Uh, And then we need to open up to the right person, a safe, faith-filled, godly, trustworthy person, like a life group leader or a pastor or I guess a friend solid in the faith. You know, my advice would be do not find... Um, your counsel in people that don't hold the same worldview as you. You know, it's so important. If you want your self-identity to be strong and found in Christ, you need someone pointing you back to the truths of Christ, right? So make sure that happens. And then we need to open up to God and, um, well, at the same time as opening up to others, maybe even first, um, because, and, and this is the key thing is I find, and I've done this in my own life, 
that we, we, we even choose not to be vulnerable with God. We come into this prayer room with God and we pray for all the things that we need to pray for and we go through the big checklist and yet we do not even let God in to how we actually are going. And, you know, in Psalm 139.23, the author says, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. You know, God's okay with your brokenness. He's okay with your vulnerability. And if anyone is safe, it is God. And so trust it there. And then lastly, we need to break behavioral patterns. When we believe a certain thing, we talked about before, it makes us behave a certain way. So one way that you can help break those behavioral patterns is start doing the opposite to how you feel. So for instance, if you um, have fear, right, in your life, then do something you would usually avoid. Like maybe it's like fear of like stepping out into something that God's got for you. I dare you, take a step and see what God starts doing on the inside. Maybe it's unworthiness. Do something that promotes your worth, right? Maybe it's not good enough. Give yourself permission to do something and fail at it. Like try something that you know you're going to suck at or fail at. A great way to kind of give yourself permission to not be good enough, that kind of thing. So yeah, and then keep repeating this process forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. Amen. (laughs) Amen. Awesome. Well, um, Harry obviously this morning actually shared quite a bit more of his story than uh, he has shared tonight. But so I'm just going to point out a couple of things that you shared this morning in your journey and then I'm going to turn to you for the question but your process of moving through this identity included uh, following the Holy Spirit and his promptings to act on forgiveness Uh, you talked about um, scriptures that spoke to you um, opening up to people to speak into your life which you just mentioned there what I'd like to ask you is how have you seen the fruit of your life change since you um, began to awaken so as as, sorry, as you began to um, do these things in your life? Yeah, uh, the fruit of my life has been insane. Um, yeah, I, I said this morning that, like, I've got a, I feel like I've got a, a real understanding of grace and that I know how broken I was, how far from just anything that looked like a good, wholesome life was and um, just of the mess I was as a person, just a terrible kind of jerky kind of guy. Um, and then just... A, see God move and transform my life. And, and, and that's the thing that I, I really would like to stress is that if you want to grow, if you want your self-identity to change, if you're dealing with things, like, um, just let God be first, hey. Like, um, one scripture that, that um, really did stick with me um, throughout the time, um, it, it was in Matthew. It's like, seek first the kingdom of heaven and all these things will be added unto you. And, um, you know, all, all, you got to take practical steps. And that's the thing. Like, it just having the Holy Spirit convict you, if you take it from me, it's not enough because you've got to have the, the willingness to act upon that conviction. Yeah. But you need the Holy Spirit's conviction. You do. you got to search Him every day. If you're struggling, if you're going through something, if you've got a friend that is, let me encourage you, just bring God into it. Like, he, there is, why do it on your own strength? Why try to fight depression? Why try to fight whatever it is that you might or someone else might be dealing with on, on your own bat when you could have, you know, the King of All Kings, you know, on your team fighting beside you? Um, and for me, the process of, of moving forward, it really was, it, it was only because of God. I was such a stubborn person. Like, I was stuck on my ways. I wanted to do them. But every single day I was doing things like I was praying the Lord's Prayer and um, just uh, for some reason I, I had the idea that God still wanted to use me. Um, 
which I shouldn't have because I, I was a terrible person. Um, but I did have that idea. It was probably pride. Um, and, and Or the Holy Spirit, maybe. Um, oh, man, this tough crowd. Um, <laughs> I was just kidding about those things. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I was praying every day. I was like, God, use me. Like, please, I know I'm a mess. I know I'm a wreck. I know I haven't dealt with a lot of things still, but just get me through this and use me somehow. And I remember praying one time and, and God just putting me in an arm lock and just kind of pinning me in a corner saying, if you want me to use you, you've got to forgive people, man. And I, I heard it as clear as I'd ever heard anything. And it was, like, so clear and just broke through like just broke through everything, any barrier that I had inside me. I was like, all right, that's real. I, I got to go do that. I've never wanted to do this. This is horrible, but I'm going to go do it. And I had to go to people who I needed to say sorry to, who I'd hurt. Um, and yet for some reason I was angry that they hurt me when I was the one. Um, and I had to, you know, grit. And I got to like, I just want to stress how hard it was to me. Like I would, I was walking like, you know, when you got to do something and you're just kind of looking for excuses not to, like you got to talk to someone, but, and there's like a fridge next to you and you just constantly open the fridge, like maybe getting some water and that's just me. All right. It's just me. All right. I relate. That's a new um, avoidance behavior. Yeah, I'm going to add to my list. Behavior. That Constant was me. Constant fridge checking. Uh, just even to ask this person out for a coffee, it took me like 10 minutes and gritting my teeth and looking at them and not looking at them and then them looking at me and me like, oh, they know. Flip. Um, and then even getting the coffee, we both knew that I was there to say sorry. We both knew I was there to open up. And like we both knew as soon as I finished drinking my coffee that it was going to open up. And no word of a lie, no word of a lie. Like I was sipping that coffee for 20 minutes in silence. It was the most awkward. Like I, like if someone was looking at that coffee, like kind of meet up, that was the most awkward thing in the world. Just two people sitting in silence for 20 minutes and then finally me being like, yeah, I've got to open up to you, you know. Um, but yeah, I, and the reason I was able to get to that place is I was such a stubborn person was that I allowed God to break me. I allowed God to discipline me. It says in Hebrews, it says elsewhere in the Bible as well, that it says in, um, in John that God disciplines the ones that he loves. Um, and if you want to change, if, if you want God to move in your life, discipline's the best thing in the world. I love discipline. I love God's discipline. It hurts more than anything in the world, but it allows, um, it allows you to grow. It allows you to be who God's calling you to be. And I know we say it a lot, but God does have a plan for your life. He does. He didn't make you by accident. There's a purpose to your life. Um, and, but the way to activate that purpose is to allow his discipline to come upon you, to allow him to come and, and break down the false mindsets, break down the, the false self-identities, break down the depression, break down the unforgiveness, break down the pride, break down whatever it is that's holding you back from allowing him to move in your life. Um, because he wants to, and he will, if you give your life to him. Um, yeah, I, I forgot what the question was. Uh, that's, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Awesome. The thing I love about God is he moves when we move. He doesn't call us to be perfect, but he does want us to move towards him and to the picture that he has for our life. It's then that he begins to change our identity. I'm going to end on this to both Karen and Harry. What would you say to someone who is in the middle of their story asking the questions, who am I really in God? Does it even matter? And maybe I should just give up. What would you say? Karen, you want to go first? Um, God created you to be unique. You know that the whole thing, when, when you were born, there's only one you. And I really encourage you, regardless of your, your journey, don't compare your life's journey with someone else's. Because your life journey has been destined for you to do your life. And it does look different to someone else. Don't compare it with anyone else's. Because that's the thing that pulls you down. You are different. You do matter. Yeah. And you know, the only 
God can only work through you when you're honest with yourself and accept the fact that you are different to your peers, to your siblings, to anybody else. Because your difference and your uniqueness is loved by God. And that uniqueness is going to take you to places that it's not going to take anyone else. So I encourage you, embrace your difference. Embrace your uniqueness. And learn to love that difference. But remembering that identity, find it in your Heavenly Father. Because when it's established through His eyes, everything good and perfect comes from above. And when you can learn to embrace that I think that, that difference and learn to accept that difference and find that contentment in that God will use you and take you to so many different places. And I want to finish on one statement. Um, one thing that I come across a couple of weeks ago, when I draw my significance from my identity as a child of God, I no longer need anything external to prove that I matter. Yeah. Yeah. And if you can get that written across the tablet of your heart, yeah. your identity in God was unshakable. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks, Karen. Harry? Um, just keep going, hey. It takes time. For me, it took a long time to, um, for things to break off. It took a long time for suicidal thoughts to, to finally break from my life. Um, um, I'd, I'd like to share just something that I did talk about this morning is that how the suicidal thoughts fell off my life is there was just one day I it was like just felt like the worst of my life I wanted to end everything again head buried in my pillow and my dad came um, to the door of my room and he just started talking and I was just not responding but he talks anyway because that's what he does um, he's great um, and I he, he left eventually after a couple minutes of I got no idea what he's. I, I most more often than not don't have any idea what he's talking about. And it's great. I love him for that. Um, but he left, and and I realized to myself, I was like, what, something about my dad is that his mum committed suicide when he was just a little boy. Um, and for me, I, I realized that I, what, that's that's what broke suicidal thoughts to me. I was like, I can't do that. And it allowed me to take ownership over my thoughts and over my feelings. I, I don't. I, it just did. It was like as soon as I. I realized the significance of, of my life, of what my life meant to others. Um, it, it was like everything changed from that moment there. Um, and I, I just want to encourage you, keep going. If you're in the middle of something, keep going, because you could be my dad. Um, not like that. Um, but <laughs> you could, please, not like that. Um, but you could be someone that just sounded strong and didn't even know, but they were there at the right moment. And because of who they decided to become, because of their decision to not crumble under the cards that were dealt to them in life, because of their decision to say, no, you know, I'm going to latch onto you, God, and I'm going to live in a self-identity which is latched onto you, you, you could really save a life. Um, and I mean that. Um, and God wants to move through you. You have a purpose. He knows every hair on your head. Um, and wherever you're at, just keep going. Just keep latching onto him. Wherever he takes you, just never let go because eventually God's never going to take you down. He's never going to. That's not his nature. He's never going to take you lower. If you latch onto him, he's always going to elevate you into a place where you can live in freedom and hope. Awesome. Thanks, Harry. You know, sometimes we can look at people uh, maybe who share this platform, who um, have great fruit in their lives, and we can forget that they have a story of real and raw faith. I want to encourage you guys, what's your story? 
what, where is God taking you through and where is he taking you to tonight? I hope that you've taken away some keys tonight from what these guys have shared. I thank you. I want to thank you for your courage, for your rawness, um, for making yourself available. Can we please honour our panel tonight? <laughs>